If you have a copy of God's Word, I want you to find the book of Acts, Acts chapter 4. Acts is in the New Testament. Uh, that's just basically the story of how the church got started. And so we're going to be in Acts tonight because I'm excited about uh, what was happening back then because, man, that's when God, His Spirit invaded a group of people. And so, man, it's incredible. Well, hey, we moved up here to the Midwest about a year and a half ago, me and my wife and two and a half kids. She was seven months pregnant when we moved, when we moved up here, and, and we popped a third one out. Mainly she did all the heavy lifting. And so, man, it was incredible when we came up here. We moved in December. She delivered our baby in February or the end of January. And, and so we had about 60 days to navigate the city, and so we hit it hard, man. And so it was awesome. We were going to coffee shops. We were going to the zoo. We were getting memberships everywhere so my kids could have something to do. We were going getting barbecue, LCs. That's my spot. Boy, I know. That's, that's my man that introduced it to me right there. And so, man, we just we were so excited just to get to navigate Kansas City. But when people are calling us, I'm from the south, when they call us from back home, they ask, what, like, tell us, what, what's Kansas City like? And before I tell them about the coffee, about the Chiefs, about the Royals, about the K, before I tell them about any of that stuff, I say, man, let me tell you what God's doing. And I just start out, I'm like, man, God has been blowing my mind since I've been here. And it's unlike anything I've been a part of in my entire life. And what God is doing through your lives and, and what, we're, what we are getting to be a part of is incredible. Seeing men and women who are far from God come to a, a realization that they need Christ in their life and then being set loose to go be pastors to their peers. And it's, it's been incredible. So when they call before I tell them about the cool things of the city, I'm like, man, you will not believe what God is doing. And so I'm so glad that you have come here tonight because you are a pivotal part of that movement. And we are celebrating what happened this, this last weekend. I mean, just a part of what we're talking about, 25 young adults went into Kansas City. Here's a, a photo of them right here. And they they were a part of what's called unashamed. And what they were doing is they were going into the city to go and pray. They went to places where, they, where homicide is a big deal. Or they went to places where women are selling their bodies. And they begin to pray and say, God, would you do something about this? And would you move? And so they got out in the very cold weather on Friday night and they asked God to do something. And then they went into places in our city like, the, like Harvesters and, and Elias and Refuge KC, and they begin to build bridges with our city and serve and be a part of what God is already at work at. And we just plugged in and we served alongside of these ministries. And, and then we said, hey, why don't you get out and start having spiritual conversations? And so they went into places of the city like Messenger Coffee or they hopped on public transportation, went to parks, and, and they just walked up to people, strangers, and they said, hey, my name is such and such, and they began to have conversation and hopefully led into a spiritual conversation. Some of them shared the gospel, and, and then that night we gathered together at this church that was hosting us, and, and we lifted up the name of Christ, and, and we, re, re, um, re, we refocused back upon like who Christ is, and we lift up pr uh, praises and adoration, and we, we um, came back to this reality that we are loved by God. It doesn't matter about our doing, it's about our being. And we said, God, you're awesome. Would you rescue and ransom and, and reveal yourself to this city? And it was this incredible deal. And seeing young adults live the unashamed life. And that's what the title of tonight's message is, uh, The Unashamed Life. And we've been in this series where we've been unpacking what the unashamed life is all about. And I hope that you are here tonight, if you are a follower of Christ, that you would embrace the call to live the unashamed life, because there's really no other way to live the unashamed life. 
And a, key, and a pivotal part, a key part of the unashamed life is that you would live a life of boldness. That you would share the gospel and you would tell people that there is a God that loves them, has a purpose for them. In Christ, he envisioned the people that would follow him that would just, they, they would just, this would be the air that they would breathe. Like Jesus said in Mark 1.17, he said, hey, come follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. He said, hey, hey, come follow me. If you want to be my follower, he says, hey, I'm going to make you fishers of men. And, and so if you're a believer tonight and you are kind of wrestling with whether or not you're living the unashamed life, let me just ask you a question. Are you fishing for men or women? Are you sharing your faith? If you're not sharing your faith, if you're not fishing for men, then really are you following Jesus? Because Jesus said, come follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. There was a, a research um, poll that was done back in 2013 by Barna Research Group, and they found, and this is a, a really good thing, I think they found that 100% of evangelicals believe that they um, have a personal responsibility to share their faith. 100%, that's, that's pretty good. So 100% of the people that were polled in this uh, study, they, they said, yeah, I've got, a, I've got an obligation. Like if, I'm, if I claim to know Jesus, I need to tell people about him. And then they said, well, how many of you are actually doing that? And so they found that 69% actually had shared their faith in the last month. I mean, the last year, excuse me. And so what that concluded, what they concluded in this study is that 31% of people who believed that they had an obligation, a responsibility to share their faith, they were not sharing their faith. So a third of these people who claimed to follow Jesus say, man, he, he saved me from, from myself. He saved me from my sin. He, he's got me in, on a pathway to life and life abundantly, and, and he's my all. He's my Lord. He's my Savior. But I don't tell nobody about him. They're saying, man, I'm a Christian. But if you're claiming to be a Christian and you're not sharing your faith, then really are you a Christian? Because if you're not fishing for men, if you're not sharing your faith, then are you really following Jesus? See, there's really two types of people, I think, in the room tonight. You're either a missionary or you're a mission field. You're either a missionary or a mission field. You're either going and telling somebody about Jesus or you're getting ready for somebody to come tell you about Jesus. Charles Spurgeon, one of the greatest preachers of all time, he was an English man. He said this, and I love it. He just kind of said things the way they were, and he said this. He said, every Christian is a missionary or an imposter. He said, if, you're, if you are not being a missionary, if you're not living missiologically, if you're not trying to build bridges with the people in your spheres of influence, if you're not coming to Christ with a burden saying, God, I want you to do what you want to do in this city through me, he says, if you're not doing that, man, you're just a fake you're just playing the church game. And he's probably like, man, go, go buy a boat. Do something else with your time, right? Like, don't play games. And so Spurgeon, he said, you're either a missionary or an imposter. And I'm telling you that you're either a missionary or you need one, that the very essence of Christianity is sharing Christ with those that, that don't know him, that you're either fishing for men and following Jesus, or, or you're not fishing for them, and you're not following Jesus. There's no really in-between. And so we want to see a young adult generation. We want to see y'all rise up and live the unashamed life, the Romans 1.16 life, where Paul says this unapologetically and with passion. He says that, I am not ashamed of the gospel. 
I am not ashamed of the gospel, the good news of Jesus that set me free from being a Pharisee, the gospel that changed me from being a, a terrorist to, to being somebody that was going to be a martyr someday, the gospel that changed Paul. He used to be Saul, big one. Now he's Paul, lowly one, the, the guy that, that wrote the three quarters of the New Testament. He said, I'm not ashamed of this gospel because it's got power, power from God for salvation, first for the Jew and then for the Greek. And so we've been saying, man, every movement of God, and I know you want to be a part of a great movement. You're here because you're saying, I want to be a part of something. I don't want to just sit in my mom's basement and play video games all day and just waste my life away. I want to be a part of something. I don't want to chase the corporate dream, the American dream, and, and get to the end and say, man, I wasted it like my mom and my daddy did. I want to be a part of something that's going to be eternal. I want to be a part of a movement that swept the earth, gave women their rights, built hospitals, got the orphan's parents. I want to be a part of something that is a, a powerful, impressive force of love. And every great movement of God that we've seen in history has been prefaced by a great prayer movement of his people. And so we said, man, you've got to bother God with your burden. He wants you to come to him and say, God, your kingdom come. Your will be done in Kansas City, in my family, in my life as it is in heaven. You come to God and you have unashamed prayer and that leads you to build these bridges with your people that you incarnate in your, your culture, that you're like the culture, but you're unlike the culture. You get out your bubble, you get over blended in, and you're somewhere in the middle, and you begin to be unashamed in the way that you build bridges with people because every great movement of God was prefaced by a great prayer movement of his people. Then every great movement of God involved a great movement of his people. And every great movement of God involved amazing boldness by his people you could say this that boldness is the building block of the church boldness is the building block of the church and you see this play out in the book of acts like you have this ragtag group of men and women that have been following Jesus and they were once ashamed of Jesus like Peter. He's like the rock of the church and, and he's like this, this epic, you know, I mean Peter, you know, and he had denied Jesus. But then he saw Jesus. Jesus restored him. And then he said, hey, hey Peter, I need you to get your posse, get your people. I need you to wait in the upper room. So they go to the upper room and they're saying, Lord, I don't know. I thought they had a prayer service. They was having a worship service, much like we was having Saturday night down at this church. And they're saying, Lord, we want... We want more of you, like a tidal wave. Come wash over me. Lord, I need you every hour. I need you. I'm singing only for you. Whatever the songs we sang tonight, they're singing in the upper room. And then the spirit falls. You'll heard the story, Acts chapter 2, flaming tongues of fire. Kind of weird. They start speaking. And then Peter goes out, and he goes out in boldness and preaches. A once timid man that was rejecting Christ. When it got hard, he started running. He was afraid for his life, now filled with the spirit of God with boldness. And they go out and they begin to proclaim the gospel so much so that the people could see the boldness. You ever saw somebody that had boldness? The scripture says that the righteous are as bold as lions. A lion doesn't have to advertise that he's bad. He just walks on the scene. You're like, that brother's bold. And they could see the boldness in Peter. And so here's what it says in Acts 4, verse 13. It says, now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, when they saw the boldness of them and they perceived that they, I love this, they were uneducated and untrained men. 
That the gospel doesn't need somebody that's got sophistication. It doesn't need somebody that's got more degrees than Fahrenheit. The gospel doesn't need somebody that's eloquent, that's got it all together, that comes from a great pedigree. I tell people all the time, I do not come from a pedigree of pastors. I come from a pedigree of alcoholics and womanizers. But God has a sense of divine humor that he would snatch me out of my mess. He would set me up on a place like this to be able to tell you. But I'm just telling you that I'm just a nobody, that I'm just one beggar trying to tell another beggar where to find bread. We all on the same playing field when it comes to Christianity. And these men were unskilled, uneducated. And these men, they were baffled because these men were bold and they were filled with this, this vigor and confidence to go out and proclaim. Here's what it said, that they marveled at them and they realized that they had been with Jesus. If you're taking notes, write this down. Being with Jesus fuels boldness for Jesus. Being with Jesus fuels boldness for Jesus. I think so many times we have a hard time being bold for Christ because we, we don't really understand the price that he paid. That what fuels boldness for Christ is when we see Christ overcoming his fears, being crushed by God. And we say, man, he overcame that. He pushed through the pain. He pushed through the awkward. He had difficult conversations, and he did that for me. And you come to him and he says, this is who you are, and this is who I am, and this is what that means. And when you get around God, man, it begins to fuel your boldness for him. And boldness is the building block of the faith. And we want to see a generation rise up with unashamed boldness to go out and, and boldly proclaim the gospel, the mystery of the gospel. And this is what we saw this weekend. And so I asked some of the men and women that were a part of Unashamed, and I said, hey, what was your biggest fear and what was your biggest win? One guy said, or one person said this, my biggest fear going into the weekend was that someone would ask me a question that I didn't know the answer to. Is that anybody? Like, I don't know if I can share my face because I don't know the Bible that well. They're going to ask me like that really hard question. I'm going to get in the conversation with like, you know, like Christian, you know, I mean, just somebody that Sam Harris, somebody just hates God, you know, and just, and I don't know what to say, but here's what they said. My biggest win this weekend was, was learning to rely on the Holy Spirit and to allow him to give me the words that I need. Another one said, my biggest fear was initiating conversations with strangers. Some of y'all are like, yeah, that's me, right? I can't talk, I don't know you, I ain't trying to talk with you, right? So their biggest fear was initiating conversations with strangers and then not knowing what to say, but their biggest win was being stretched out of my comfort zone, having peace while initiating conversations with people, specifically with people of different backgrounds, ethnicities, with Refuge KC. It was beautiful getting to witness the language barriers and all the walls society puts around ethnicities come down for one common purpose, to love God and to love his people. One other guy said, man, my biggest fear was just getting rejected. And so I actually, he, he said, I didn't get to share my faith this weekend, but it gave me this hunger to want to go out and share my faith. And so I was at lunch, I was, I was at work and I asked my boss to lunch. And when we sat down at lunch, I said, Hey boss, whatever his name is, can I pray for you? And the guy looked at me and said, actually, yeah, yeah. My life's falling apart. My lady just left and my kids are with me and I don't know what to do. He said, I, I've, I got to share the hope of Christ with him. And so, man, what I found out was well, through all these testimonies, their biggest fear, when they overcame their biggest fear, it led them to their greatest win. 
Now, I think that most believers, when it comes to the unashamed life, you kind of stand on the, the precipice of the edge of obedience, and you just need the Holy Spirit or a brother in Christ or a sister in Christ just to go nudge you a little bit and say, hey, why don't you go talk to that person about Christ? Go tell them that there's a God that loves them. He's got a plan for them. And you just get, you, okay, all right, here we go. All right, and I'm out there, right? And so you're like, hey, my name is, you know, Chad. Good to meet you. And do you know Christ, you know, and you just, you're in it. And so, man, I'll tell you what, man, get out there, overcome your biggest fear. And when you overcome your biggest fear, it'll probably lead to your greatest win. But some of you are here, man, you're so gripped by fear. And, and you really, you're, you're, you're disabled, you're paralyzed. So what you do when you're gripped by fear is this. You do what we find in Acts 4, verses 31. Here's what it said. And when they had prayed, when you're gripped by fear, take it to God. Recount the sacrifice that he made. Recount the, the power that he's given you in the Holy Spirit. And pray. And it says, when they prayed, the place where they were assembled together was shaken. That's what we're praying for, that tonight God would shake somebody up a little bit tonight. That he would set you free to get out there and begin to tell the message of liberty to people. Tell them that there's a God that's got hope for them, a living hope, because Jesus is alive. That, that, that we want to see you get shaken up. So pray, and the whole place was shaken, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit that called Jesus out of the grave, raised him up, the Holy Spirit that indwells the believers, the Holy Spirit that has set this world on fire. They were filled with the Holy Spirit, and they spoke the word of God with boldness. And so we want to see you speak the word of God with boldness. But the word of God that they were speaking was what we call the gospel. And so what I want to do real quick is I want to invite one of my friends up to the stage, one of my best friends, Josiah Jones, and he's going to come up here and, and he's going to lay out the gospel for us tonight. And so when we say, what, man, we want, we, we want you to be bold. This is what we want you to be bold with. This is the message that has changed my life. This is the message that has changed the world, has motivated more hospitals being built, has motivated the movement of Christ. It's the gospel. And my buddy Josiah, he's one of the most passionate men that I know about the gospel. And so I thought it fitting to invite him up to the stage. So Joe, won't you come up to the stage? I'll give my man a hand as he takes the rest of the message tonight. Thank you, brother. Well, hey, good evening. My name is Josiah. About 13 years ago, God began to arrest my heart, and he began to take me to a place that I've never been taken before. I was uh, getting off the bus my junior year from playing uh, a three-game series. I played baseball in college. And I went home that night to my apartment, and my roommates, who happened to be my teammates as well, were getting ready to go out. And I just said, hey, guys, I'm taking this one off. And they left, and, and I began to uh, just start replaying the last few years of my life. And I, and I kept saying, I kept asking this question, is that it? Because if these things aren't going to fill my life anymore, then what's going to fill it? And I started going right down the list with everything I've been filling my life with. Partying, the next relationship. Sex, pornography, baseball. Man, we were ranked number seventh in the nation at the time. I don't say that to boast. I say that because I should have been on cloud nine. And at that moment, I was just thinking, man, why am I feeling so empty and unsatisfied and unfulfilled? I should be on cloud nine. And I remember going over to my bathroom mirror, and I remember leaning over, and I just remember asking myself, how have I allowed my life to get here. What I thought was going to be, was going to produce so much joy and so much happiness and so much success ultimately led me to my unsatisfaction. 
And so if someone was to come up to me during that time and say, hey, do you believe in God? I would be like, yeah, I believe in God, absolutely. Who doesn't, man? We live in America. But that moment, at that time, in my apartment, God began to reveal something to me that I've never, I never, he never would reveal to me before. And I started reading God's word and he took me to 1 John 3 and it says that when we live in continuous sin, continuous sin, it shows that you belong to the devil who's been sinning since the beginning. But the son of God, Jesus, came to destroy the works of the devil and those who have been born into God's family do not make a practice, that's really important, circle that word practice if you're following along in 1 John 3. Do not make a practice of sinning because God is in them. See, I had the, a life where, yes, I would declare God with my lips, but I would deny him with my life. And it was that night where I began to see the gospel, this thing that we call the gospel, for the very first time. And God began to open my eyes like he had never opened them before. And so tonight, we wanna take you on a journey and we wanna answer this question, what is the gospel? Chad has done a phenomenal job over the last few weeks uh, just giving us a, a great framework for what does it look like to live a life of unashamed, that it starts with prayer, it starts with having a burden. If you're not burdened for something, then you'll never pray for it. And then he had a great message last week where he talked about bridges. And then tonight, it's where the rubber meets the road. What is the gospel? I love what Chad always says. He says, hey, man, we, we have gospel clarity, then we're going to have gospel confidence. And I'm convinced there's people in this room tonight that don't really have gospel clarity. So therefore, why would you have confidence to share See, there's two types of people in this room tonight. The people that were just like me 13 years ago. You think you believe in God, and maybe you do, but it's nothing more than an intellectual assent. And it hasn't changed really anything in your life. Come on. And then there's people in this room that says, yes, man, I'm all in. Man, Jesus is, 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 my, is my love, man. I follow him. But you have not done anything with that message and it stopped with you. And so when you have gospel clarity, it produces gospel confidence. And that's what we want to do tonight. And so let's get after it. We're going to have an illustrative type message. And so no, just imagine with me or, or just, this, just think about this for a second. This, this platform is a symbol. It's a metaphor for your relationship with God. In the very beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. He created everything to be perfect. There was absolutely no sin. He didn't want there to be sin, but he gave man a choice, and he allowed man to choose. And I love what our pastor said a couple weeks ago. A life without choice would be worse than a life without suffering because it causes us to have a real relationship. A life without choice would be worse than a life without suffering. So God gave us a choice. And you know the rest of the story. Genesis 3, sin entered the world. Man stiff-armed God like a running back stiff-armed a, stiff a safety. And sin entered into 
creation and it sent creation into chaos. Therefore, we see death, we see cancer, we see tsunamis, we see earthquakes, we see divorce, we see rape. It's not because of a a bad God, it's because of sin entering into the world and it's created havoc and we're reaping the consequences of it. So here we go. This platform right here represents now a chasm, a chasm of separation between God and man, excuse me. And so this platform right here represents you and me, it's humanity. And so let's just talk about this for a second. If you were to, and it's gonna be up on the screen, hopefully you can take notes if you have the worship program, you can take step-by-step notes because we wanna give you gospel clarity tonight. So this platform represents humanity, it's man and woman. And so what do you know about man? What do you know about woman, right? You know them to be what? I, I, it's, 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 it's crazy because, um, man, I'm, 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 I'm taken back when I, even I talk to unbelievers, they know that they're sinners. They know that they're not perfect. I don't think anybody in this room would, would, would try to convince themselves that they're perfect. And so you recognize that, man, you have sinned. And so in the Bible, the Bible says that, the, that for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There's none righteous, no, not run. I think we're about to go to step number two, and it's going gonna, it's gonna to put God up there because I'm, I'm, I'm kind of uh, disoriented right now. I'm starting with man, but I'm supposed to start with God. So let's back this thing up, reverse. All right, here we go. Let's start with God. You got God on one side, and you got man on another. So let's start with God. God is what? Come on, tell me. You, get, you know some characteristics of God. God is the creator. In Genesis 1-1, it says he created the heavens and the earth. In the beginning, he created the heavens and the earth. God's the creator. You also know God to be what? Holy. This word holy means to be without sin, to be perfect in thought, word, and action. You also know God to be um, loving. 1 John 4 says, um, if you do not love, then you don't know God because God is love. And so you got God on one side and you got man on another side. This represents man. What do you know about man? Man is created by God. Genesis 1, 27 and 28 says that God created, God created male and female in his image. In the image of God, he created them. You also know man is to be a sinner. Like I said, man, I come across people all the time. And even those people that don't know God know that something's radically wrong with humanity. It doesn't take a rocket science to turn on the news and know that something is wrong. The Bible says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, Romans 3.23. The glory of God is his perfection. We've all said something, thought something, done something. But the Bible also says that man is loved. I love going to football games because usually in the end zone of a football game, you see a banner, and on that banner is John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Put your name where it says world. For God so loved Kate. For God so loved Dan. For God so loved Josiah. For God so loved Mike. And so you see this chasm of separation take place because 
Man's a sinner and God's perfect. And then this is what we do. Step number four, we, we try to build bridges, right? We try to build the bridge of, uh, of good works. This is, this is the bridge of good works. We, we say, hey, man, I'm, I'm not that bad. Man, I, I help the, the lady uh, across the street when she needs her yard mowed. I'll, I'll mow her yard for free. Man, I might, I might give a couple bucks to the, to the man who's, who's homeless. Man, I, I'm not that bad. I, yeah, man, I, I go serve every once in a while when I see a need. Maybe, there, maybe there's a hurricane or a tornado. I'm not that bad. But here's the problem. When you try to build the bridge of good works, you're comparing your life to other people, the people around you. And even when you compare your life to people in the church, you can always find someone worse than you. So it gives you security in the fact that you're not that bad. And so that bridge falls short every time, the bridge of good works. Then if you can't get to heaven by good works, you're like, man, I'm just going to be religious. (laughs) Woo. I'm going to wear that cross necklace. Mm. Got it on right here, baby. Come on. I'm going to get that tattoo of John 3.16. A little bit more, a little bit more. Man, I, I'm going I'm to go to church every Sunday. Not just on Sunday. Man, I'm going I'm to go on Tuesday. And when I go, I'm going I'm to bring my Bible. <laughs> so I look really spiritual. And, and, and you know what? I, I might even get into a community group. That one of those Bible studies, they call it. But the Bible says that if you try to get to heaven based on your religious activity, you fall short every time. See, Jesus called these people the Sadducees and the Pharisees of his day. He, he said, hey, these people try to be religious to get to heaven. And Jesus says, that bridge will fall short every time because if you could get to heaven based on your good works then what was the point of Jesus dying on the cross and so this isn't popular by any stretch of the imagination um, but 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 you know here's the problem you might not believe in hell but Jesus did he actually talked about it twice as much as he talked about heaven and so I, I, I'll talk to people about hell, and they're like, man, how can, this, how can a loving God allow this to happen? And I'm like, because heaven is a perfect place. And let me ask you a question. If God allowed sin into heaven, then what would heaven look like? And almost every time I ask someone that question, they tell me it would have looked a lot like this earth. And so therefore, God can't allow sin into heaven And so 2,018 years ago, he looked down on you and me. And he said, I don't see fit to to leave Josiah and the world in their sin. And he lived the life that you could never live. And he died the death that you and I deserve to die on what we call the cross. And this cross became the bridge that allows you and I to get to God. Let me ask you something. God's created a way when there was no other way. And so let me ask you a few questions. Have your hands ever been to places that they should never have gone? Yeah, me too. 
The Bible says that Jesus had nails that were pierced in his hands. For every time your hands have been to places that they should never have gone. How about your feet, man? Have your feet taken you to places that they should never have gone? Me too. The Bible says that Jesus had a, a nail that was pierced in his feet for every time your feet have taken you to places that they should never have gone. How about your eyes? How about your thoughts? Have you looked at things and thought of things that you should never have looked at or thought of? Me too. I was a porn addict for many years of my life. It almost destroyed my marriage before I even got married. And so the Bible says that Jesus wore a crown of thorns right above his eyes for every time your eyes and thoughts have gone to places that they should never have gone. How about your back? Have you ever turned your back against God? Me too. The Bible says that some Roman centurion soldiers took these whips, and at the end of whips were glass and sharp metal objects and nails, and they whipped Jesus. And those glass and sharp metal objects sunk into Jesus' flesh as they pulled back the whips. For every time your back and my back turned itself against God. How about your heart? Your heart ever hardened itself to God? Me too. My parents divorced when I was making the transition from fifth to sixth. My roommate from college died in a tragic plane accident 30 miles south of Casper, Wyoming. Not too long ago, we just found out my wife's sister has cancer. My heart's hardened itself to God before. But like I said in the beginning, that those things, those are consequences of man's sin not because we have a bad God. The brokenness that you and I see all around us is a consequence of our sin, and Jesus made a way. And the Bible also says that another Roman centurion soldier pierced Jesus right underneath the heart for every time your heart and my heart harden itself against God. Let me tell you something. Jesus can free your hands, your feet, your eyes, your thoughts, your back, and your heart because now justice was paid at the cross. See, we cry out justice when we see things around us that are wrong. But let's take an inventory about our life tonight against a holy, perfect God. Do we want justice? No, man. We want, we want mercy. We want grace. And so this, this cross, this cross that we, that we sing about and that we talk about, it has become the bridge that allows you and I to get to God. Nothing that you and I could do can ever get to God. He's done it. The last words of Jesus was, it is finished. Ephesians 2, 8, 9 says, you've been saved by grace through faith, not of yourself. It's a gift of God so that no man may boast. Let me tell you something. If you could get to heaven based, by your, based on your good works and your religious activity, you would boast about it. Because that's in every single one of us. Pride, narcissism, all about me. 
And God says, you can't get to heaven based on what you do for me. Only what I've done for you. And so what's your response? Because here's, here, here's the deal, gang. If, if this is it, if, if, if it's just Jesus on the cross and that's it, then we're worshiping a dead God. We're singing to a dead God. But we celebrated this two weeks ago. It's called Easter, Easter Sunday. We believe that three days later, Jesus rose again from the dead. And so the problem is that man is still at a distance from God. But now God has built the bridge, and that bridge is called the cross. And so what is your response? I believe that the only appropriate response is what we see in Romans 10, 9 and 10. Can I read it to you? Romans 10, 9 and 10 says, if you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart, that's important, circle believe and circle heart, believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with the heart, circle that heart again, that you believe and are justified. That means to be made right with God. And it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. Let me tell you something. Two times in that scripture it says, if you believe with your heart, not your head. I was an intellectual believer for 21 years of my life. Here's the problem. Men and women always say what they think, but you do what you believe. I told people that I believed in God. I was a Christian. But what does that even mean? My life looked no different than the rest of the world. This hadn't changed me. And so the Bible is very clear that it's with the heart. Behavior is always followed by belief. So if your life has not been changed, listen to me. I'm begging you. Don't be duped by the culture of religiosity in Kansas City and in our nation. And so what's our response from this verse, Romans 10, 9, and 10? Belief plus, plus confession equals salvation. This belief is a heart belief. This confession means to, to, to do a turn, not to do a 360 and go right back into what you were struggling with and what you're giving your life to. I did that for many years. I would literally go to the end of my bed and I would ask God for forgiveness, but the whole time I was plotting in my heart what I was going to do the next day and the next weekend. It was empty prayers. There was no sincerity. Confession is when you do a 180 and you make war with your sin and you trust that Christ's sacrifice is enough to pay for any sin. And so belief plus confession equals salvation. And so tonight... What's your response? Because you either are sitting there and you're like, man, yes, I identify with your story 13 years ago. Man, I've, I, I, I say I believe, but nothing really changes and, uh, except for maybe I come to church and that's it. But, but, but my relationships aren't changed. I still do the same thing I do before I committed my life to Christ. My mouth hasn't changed. My heart for people hasn't really changed. I'm still selfish as ever, ever narcissistic, all about me. And so maybe tonight it's you that you need to just, man, you need to cry out to God and you need to ask him to save you for the very first time. And then if you've received this, 
If you receive this gospel, then what's your response? Your response is boldness and sharing. It's boldness and sharing. And so look at what Romans 10, just a couple verses later, starting in verse 13, says. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That's, that's a beautiful verse right there. Everyone? Yeah, everyone. Even the porn addict? Yes. Even the person just entrenched in, in, in sin? Absolutely. Everyone. If he can change Chad and I's life, he can change yours. I promise you. You're not too far from God. And it goes on and says, How then can they call on the one that they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? And so it says, How beautiful are the feet of those who bring the good news. But not all the Israelites accepted the good news. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our message? Consequently, faith comes from hearing hearing the message, and the message is heard through the word about Christ. And so one of the most ridiculous things I've ever heard is preach the gospel all the time, and when necessary, use words. Dumb. That is dumb. I'm just going to be flat out honest with you. God said in what we just read that it's through the word that people are saved. Listen, good deeds are never a bad thing, but please don't try to convince me that cutting someone's grass or paying for someone's coffee is evangelism. It ain't. That is a bridge that we talked about last week. For you to be bold in sharing what Christ has done for you and what Christ has done for them. The biblical definition, let me give it to you, of evangelism is when we proclaim Christ and unfortunately a cowardly church culture has turned it into a whole lot of things Jesus never meant it to be. And so I love that story, man. 25 young adults says, hey, I'm gonna give my entire weekend. I'm just gonna go. I'm gonna go to some of the hardest areas of our city. I'm gonna pray down strongholds. I don't even know what it looks like to approach people, but I'm just going to give it a shot. I'm going to take the training that I received. I'm just going to give it a shot and see what God does. So tonight, if you've received this message and you've put your, you put your faith and trust in Christ, what is your response? It's boldness and sharing. I love what Paul goes on and says in verse 18, after he says, consequently, faith comes from hearing the message and the message is heard through the word about Christ. And he says, but I asked, did they not hear? Of course they did, Paul says. Their voice has gone out into all the earth, their words to the ends of the world. And so what's happening here is Paul is addressing an objection that the Israelites or God's people, the Jews, have not heard the gospel. And Paul's saying, no, 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 no. They've heard the gospel because we shared it. We were a fork in the road. Those who have rejected it upon hearing, they've rejected it upon hearing it, not because we didn't share it. And so second spiritual truth tonight paradigm is this. It's our job to share. It's God's job to save. It's our job to share. It's God's job to save. 
Success in living unashamed is measured by sharing, not saving. And you should just take a deep breath right now because that should just be a huge relief to you. When I learn that, when the scoreboard isn't like, hey, man, this guy's got to respond and he's got to like me and he's got to like my Christ. Man, that's not the scoreboard for me. The scoreboard for me is that, man, I've been faithful to have a spiritual conversation that hopefully has led to me being able to share the gospel and how God has arrested my heart and changed my life. That's success in living the unashamed life. And so tonight, what's your response? What's your response? Do you need to come and cry out to God to save you because this, this message really hasn't changed you. And if it has, then the call on your life is to be bold in sharing. Let me pray that we would. God in heaven, you know the heart of every man and every woman here. God, I pray that you would move in might and that you would do what we can't do and that's save and God tonight there was gospel clarity and that nobody leaves this place questioning what is the gospel they might leave this place rejecting the gospel, but they can't leave this place not knowing the gospel. And I pray that in the next few moments that you would arrest hearts for salvation. And if they're saved, you would arrest their heart to share with great boldness for your glory, our joy, and the world's good. It's Christ's name we pray.